Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. On the winter morning of Tuesday, January 28th, 1986, there was excitement and anticipation across America as Krista McAuliffe was going to make history as the first teacher to go to space. She and six other astronauts boarded the space shuttle Challenger in Cape Canaveral, Florida on that fateful morning. As millions of Americans, including countless school children, because there was a teacher going to space, gathered around televisions in their homes and in their offices and in their classrooms to watch the liftoff, great anticipation and excitement turned to shock and horror 73 seconds after liftoff as the space shuttle exploded inside of those on the ground and all of those watching around the world. I was in elementary school, and I vividly remember that day. Do you know what led to the tragic loss of life and a measurable setback to the American space program? This right here. Can't see it. It might not have been this exact size, but a little rubber O-ring. What I'm holding is a little seal, a little O-ring that you put to seal something. And it was on that morning that a piece like this, costing maybe less than a dollar, caused all of that destruction and tragedy and heartache. You see, the temperature at the time of the launch was, was just above freezing. It was about 36 degrees at the time of launch. And the O-rings used in the booster rockets, uh, they were known that they, should only be, they, they were only guaranteed to do their job if it was above 53 degrees to work properly. At freezing temperatures, these lose their elasticity, and so they don't expand to seal the way that they're supposed to. And so because of that, when they fired up the booster rockets, some, some uh, fuel and other things began to leak, and what started as smoke turned into a flame, le- led to that flame that burned through the shuttle's external tank, eventually causing the explosion, destroying the orbiter, and killing the entire crew instantaneously. The thing is, NASA engineers knew about this possibility before the launch. In fact, one of our missionaries that was here for Missions Extravaganza, his dad is a NASA engineer and was a part of that entire thing, told me the story and all of the the engineers. They've now placed the decision-making process in the engineers' hands, not the executives' and government officials' hands. The engineers knew of this possibility, but the decision was made by some higher-ups to go forward with the launch anyways. For a variety of reasons that I won't go into here, there was a great pressure not to delay the launch of the Space Shuttle Challenger. There were some financial reasons, there were some political reasons, there were some reasons they didn't want to delay that. There had never really been any thought of delaying the launch. A faulty O-ring and some faulty decision-making led to one of the most tragic episodes in the American space program. This morning, I want to bring you a message reminding us, bring us a message, reminding us of the power of small things, the power of seemingly small decisions in our lives. This morning's message, the title is, One Step Leads to Another. 
One step leads to another. We're going to pick up our our text where we left off two Sunday mornings ago in Genesis 13. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. We're going to look at a good bit of Scripture um, in Genesis 13. We're going to study the life of Lot. We saw two characters in Genesis 13 two two weeks ago, Abraham and his nephew Lot. Abraham, a God-blessed man, a God-directed man, and Lot. And we're going to look at, in fact, tonight's message, I'll be preaching a different message also from the life of Lot. And we're going to learn all day today from the life of Lot here in Genesis. In chapter 13, we saw this last, or two weeks ago, would you look at verse number 5, read Genesis 13, verse 5 aloud, if you will. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. If you're following along on a phone or a tablet, I'll be reading from the King James Version of the Bible. I always encourage you to open up the Bible to see it for yourself. If you're in the habit of doing that, maybe making notes or underlining as you see some things there, and follow along as we look. I think you'll get more out of the message, if you will. Genesis chapter number 13, would you read verse number 5 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. What do we see here? We see Lot doing well. Business is booming. Uncle Abram's business is booming. Lot's business is booming. He, he has, he has, he's got servants. He's got family. He's, he's there. He's got good relationships. Life is good. He's where he's supposed to be, with who he's supposed to be with. God has a plan for his uncle, and Lot's following right along there. I want you to hold your hand. We're going to come back to Genesis 13. These are some of the beginning, first times we learn of Lot in chapters 11, 12, and 13. I want you to see the last mention of Lot in the Old Testament, just uh, five or six chapters forward. Go to Genesis 19. So what do we see in Genesis 13, 5? Business booming, Lot doing well, Lot living a blessed life, good relationships, good location, good things happening. I want you to see Genesis chapter number 19. For the sake of time, we won't look at all of this, but look at verse number 24, beginning verse number 24, a familiar story for some. The Bible says in verse 24, then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. I was in Israel, I was talking to our tour guide, and I was asking, is there a place that you, that is that place, and can you tell that there was, and he said, absolutely, you can find this there. And, and Sodom, this, this wicked, in fact, to this day we have crime, a crime that is named after this city called Sodomy. It's a, it was a wicked city that was known for its debauchery, its wickedness, and Lot, it says here in verse number 24, Lot lived in that city at this point. The Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. So now we have Lot as a widower. And Abraham got up early in the morning, look at the contrast, to the place where he stood before the Lord, Lot living in Sodom, Abram worshiping God daily. Verse 28, and he looked toward Sodom, Abram did, and toward all the land of the plain, and behold, lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. So Lot is saved from this destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot went up out of Zoar, and look where he's living now. He dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar, and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. And the firstborn said unto the younger, our father is old, and there's not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of the father. What do we, what do we see here? 13.5, life is good. 
Business is good. Family is good. Relationships are good. 19, and we could keep going there, chapter 19, we find Lot, a homeless widower. With only the clothes on his back, he's living in a cave with no earthly possessions. He had been a man of great power and position in Sodom. Now he's living in a cave with nothing but what he could carry with him and the clothes on his back. He, other than his two unmarried daughters, his entire family, his children and grandchildren, including his wife, were killed in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. His wife was saved, but then she was killed as she disobeyed the, the angel of God and she looked back. And in this cave, what we just read, and it goes on with a little more, a few verses, a little more description. In this cave is the last thing Scripture records about Lot's life. The biblical account of his life ends with his drunkenness and debauchery with his unmarried daughters. What a sad story. How does somebody go from chapter 13, verse 5, to chapter 19? How do you get there? One step leads to another. Turn back to chapter 13, if you will, where we saw Lot doing well. And I want you to look at Lot's life this morning. And I want us to look at our own lives and take inventory. And I want us to leave pondering the the decisions we're making and the steps we're taking and the directions that we're going. In chapter 13, uh, what what happened for the sake of time, I won't go through it. We we talked about it two weeks ago. Because business was so good, there wasn't enough room for all of Lot's cattle and livestock and Abram's cattle and livestock. They were having some supply chain issues, if you will. They were having some problems finding enough ground for all of their animals to, uh, to feed on. And so Lot's employees and Abraham's employees started fighting. And Abram came and said, Lot, we're family. Family's more important than money. Family's more important than business. We're brethren. We're not going to fight about this. You go wherever you want to go. I'll figure it out for my business after you figure it out for your business. And so Lot then makes this decision, and this is where it all starts going downhill. This is where we find in Lot's life, he, as he chooses where to keep his livestock, his small decisions here lead to an end that he never would have imagined when he made these decisions. We're going to take a journey this morning through Lot's life, and can you hear me well out there? I'm struggling a little bit with the monitors up here today. I'm not hearing myself as well. Everybody okay out there? Is it, you, you've got okay. Um, look, if, if you will, in Genesis chapter number 13, verse number 10. Genesis 13, verse number 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. What do we see here? Number one, how did Lot get from doing well to what we saw in chapter 19? Number one, we see Lot looking, and Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan. Christian, may I say this morning that what you look at matters. What you choose to focus on sets a direction. What you make your priority determines where you go. What you and I look at matters. It started, Abram says, Lot, pick anywhere you will, and Lot lifted up his eyes. And he went from looking, what we do, that looking, and by the way, the psalmist was wise when he said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Why? Because what I look at will impact my thinking, will impact my desires, will impact my, my, eventually my actions. And then we see he went from looking to, in verse number 11, lusting. 
Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. He began to say, I want that. He, he began to lust, to covet, to decide what, what, what looked good. He made decisions based on what looked good, what felt good, what would be good for him, not taking into account where would God have me to be? What, what is this going to do to my relationships? How is this going to separate me from my uncle that God is guiding and is, is a friend of God? He didn't think about the fact, how is this going to divide me? from Abram, he just began to make decisions based on what seemed good to him, what felt best to him. I want that. I want the plains of Jordan. And may I say this morning, church, be careful about making life-impacting decisions solely based on what feels good or sounds good or seems to make you happy in the moment. Feelings are often terrible guides for decision-making. This decision would lead, to him, lead him to leave the one that had God's blessing upon him, his uncle Abram. And what did his look and his lust lead to? One step leads to another. Look at verse number 12. It led to him living somewhere else. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent. Do you see it here? Another step. Pitched his tent toward Sodom. He's not living in Sodom. And notice that Moses tells us here in verse number 13, but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. This wasn't a surprise. This wasn't a secret what this city was about. What do we call in our vernacular? We call Las Vegas. What's Las Vegas' nickname? It's what? Sin City, it's not a surprise. Now, there are some amazing churches. I have good pastor friends in Las Vegas. There are some wonderful Christians. But the reputation of Las Vegas nationwide, it's no surprise there is all kinds of debauchery in Las Vegas. It was no surprise when Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. He decided his, his look led to a desire. I want that. I think that'll make my life easier. I think it'll feel good. I, I think it'll give me more money. I think I want, and I'm making my decisions based on my flesh, based on what makes me feel good. I'm lusting, and it's going to lead me to living in a different place, living with different priorities, living with, with a heart oriented to our, my own fleshly desires. He every day woke up, and his view was Sodom where the men were evil, continually wicked, exceedingly. What started as a simple look has now changed the direction of his life and family. It has changed where he's living. Quickly, he will go from looking toward Sodom to living in Sodom. His look has now changed who he spends time with and who his closest influences are. No more with Abram. Now he's surrounded with wicked men. Look at chapter 14, verse number 2. Chapter 14, it says that these made war, there's some kings in verse 1 that made war with Bera, the king of Sodom, and with Beersha, king of Gomorrah. What happens in chapter 14, in, there are two coalitions, one group of four kings, one group of five kings that start to go to war with each other. We might talk a little bit more about this next Sunday morning. Um, start to go to war with each other, and two of the parties were the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot is now living in Sodom, and, and he's living there, and his country, his city goes to war with some other cities. And so then we see in verse number, look at verse number 10, we see Lot leaving. Look at verse number 10. And the veil of Siddim was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. We see leaving, meaning Lot taken away captive kidnapped, 
prisoner of war. Unintended consequences, unintended pain, unintended results of what started with just some fleshly decision-making. Now he's leaving, and, and by the way, there are often unexpected and unintended consequences to our small choices, our wrong decisions, our fleshly decision-making. Lot is now a prisoner of war. He's now in bondage in a foreign land under a wicked regime. Now look at verse number 13. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eskel, the brother of Amor, and, and these were confederate with Abram. So someone comes and says, Abram. They've had a war, Sodom and Gomorrah, the kings fell in the slime pits, they, they just ransacked the whole city, and, and Lot, your family is with them, they, they kidnapped him, he's gone, verse number 14. And it says, and when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants by night, and smote and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot, and his goods, and the women also, and the people. I see here Lot's liberation. I see Lot's salvation here. I think it's a picture or an application. I think you can, it's not a bad, he was taken into bondage by a wicked culture and Abram, a, a righteous redeemer, a righteous man comes and rescues the one that he loves. I see Lot, at least if we're not talking spiritual salvation, for sure his physical salvation here. Lot is liberated, he's, he's rescued, he's redeemed. And aren't you glad that even when we find ourselves in bondage or in the unintended consequences because of our stupid little decisions, that God is there to extend mercy and love and grace and redemption. There's nobody that's too far gone. Aren't you glad that even when you find yourself maybe surrounding yourself with people you ought not and making decisions and doing things that you shouldn't, there is still a, there is still a redeemer that loves you, that's willing to go, that was willing to go and sacrifice himself to face the penalty and punishment of death. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and for me. Aren't you glad that there is one, even when we choose sinful paths, that is willing to put his own life on the line to rescue us. So that's Lot. So he's, he's learned his lesson, right? He got liberated by Abraham. He's, he's going to go back and put himself back under the godly leadership of Abram, right? He, he's going he's to stay close to godly influences now, right? He's not going back to Sodom and Gomorrah. Surely not. He saw how that worked out, right? Well, let's find out. The Bible actually doesn't say much about actually anything about Lot after that, after he gets rescued. For chapter 15, 16, 17, or 18, it talks more about Abraham and his story. But would you skip over to chapter number 19, verse number 1. Chapter number 19, verse number 1. The next few chapters, those chapters are silent about Lot, but obviously, let's look at verse number 1. And there came two angels to where, church? They came where? Came where? Two angels, messengers of the Lord, come to what city? When? At even, at night. And what's the next word? What? What? Why? How did he end up back there? God saved you from that. Obviously, some, somewhere in Lot's heart, there was a longing to return. There was a longing to return back to that wicked city of Sodom. Do you ever find yourself there, Christian? 
Going back to lust that God delivered you from? Going back to places and thoughts and relationships that you know aren't pleasing to God? Being tempted by things that you know you should remove yourself from? We need to, church, we need to daily remind ourselves of the utter sinfulness of sin. We need to remind ourselves the pain of a life lived after our own lust because sometimes we can forget. We get rescued there, and, and before we know it, we're right back where we were when we were facing those difficulties. We, we need to remind ourselves that the consequences of choices made in opposition to God's Word, it's so easy to deceive ourselves and head right back to the place where we shouldn't be. Not only did he return, but this time we see Lot in verse number one living large. I'm doing pretty well with my alliteration this morning, aren't I? I don't always alliterate, but when I do, it's on a 10-point message. Some of you just got really scared. 10-point message, you're going to start counting. One, two, that's seven. We're on point seven, all right? How many more can he fit on that screen? Let's find out. We see Lot living large. Look at verse number one. And there came two angels to Sodom and even, and Lot sat in the what, church? He sat in the gate of Sodom. He sat in the gate. This doesn't mean he was hanging out on a fence, okay? The gate was the political seat. Was, I was, again, we were just had a group in Israel. We went to a, an, a, a city that would have been around actually around this time. They found it, one of the oldest cities on earth. And you see the gate. It was right at the entry of the city. It's where the judges, it's where the powerful rulers, the, the people that were making the decision makers. For us, it might be city council or governors or, or, or the president, you know, whatever that. It was where the, the, the decision makers, the people that were making, and you would come to the gate, and if there was an issue that needed to be dealt with, they had the powerful men that would be sitting there at the gate. Lot has now, not only is he back in Sodom, but he is now rising the ranks of leadership in this wicked culture. And by the way, I'm all for believers rise, being salt and light and being rising in, in, in leadership in different areas and of, of government and different areas of the world. That was not what Lot was doing here. We see that in 2 Peter. I'll, I'll bring that verse up in a little bit. That's not what was happening. Lot was not changing the culture, the culture was changing Lot. He's here, and he's not just living in Sodom as an innocent bystander. He is now somehow, he's now earned enough favor, he got enough votes that he is sitting in a seat of decision-making, a seat of power in this wicked place. Lot sitting in the gate, not just a stranger living in a wicked culture, which that's, by the way, what all of us are supposed to be as Christians. We're pilgrims. We're supposed to be strangers living in the midst of a wicked culture. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. Lot was in the world and of the world. It's amazing how far a little look can take you, isn't it? Who would have thought to this? Just by looking at what might have made me a little more money in my business, that's where I end up. Spurgeon once said, the pivots of history are microscopic. Those things that direct our lives at times, those things that change our lives can be a, a, what we might call a chance meeting or a small decision or one time rejecting an invitation or accepting an invitation to church. Little decisions can change the whole course of our lives. Entire lives and careers can change because of an O-ring. The pivots of history are microscopic. 
Families can be destroyed because of a look to Sodom. Small things can lead to gigantic things in our lives. Solomon said it was the little foxes that spoil the vines. Didn't he say that, Song of Solomon? Little decisions have big impacts. Little animals destroy whole crops. While living and leading in Sodom, we find out that Lot had lost his way. Point number eight for those keeping track. Verse number two. Look at verse number two, and he said, this is a sad passage. He said, behold now, my lords, turn in. So these two angels of the Lord, messengers, come to Lot. They come to his house at evening time, in the evening. And, and he says, come in, guys. Come to my house. I'm, at, I'm begging you. Come into, into your servant's house and tarry all night. I've got a room. You can sleep here. Wash your feet. We'll rise up early. Get on your way. It's, it's, you ever been somewhere? Don't go out. This is not a safe, safe part of town. Get, get, get home. Get to your hotel room. Stay here. You shouldn't go out. We'll get you up early. We'll get you on your way. We'll take care of you. Come on in. And they said, nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And Lot's like, no, 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 no. You don't know what street you're on. I know where I live, and I'm a little embarrassed about it, but you can't stay out here. Verse number four, but before... I'm sorry, verse 3, and he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in on him. He said, no, please, you've got to come inside, trust me. He entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round about, both old and young, generations of evil in Sodom, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot, and said unto him, where are the men which came in unto thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them, and shut the door after him, and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. So get the picture. These men come. They knock on the door. They're talking to Lot. Lot says, guys, it's getting dark. You don't want to be around here after dark. Come inside. I'll, no, we're good. We're, we can stay out here. We're fine. No, you can't. Come inside. All right, come inside. Wash their feet. Get them, a, get them some food. Take care of them. And word started to spread. Hey, Lot's got some. I'm not trying to be crude, but this is the city. Lot's got some fresh meat over at his house. Hey, Lot's got some, some guys I haven't seen before. Hey, let's go. And they got a mob. They got a group that compassed, got all the way around the house, and they started shouting and banging. And, and Lot, he comes out and he closes the door right behind him. He says, guys, 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 no, 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 don't do this. No, we, we want to we take advantage of these men. We want to abuse these men physically. We want to we do some wicked, vile things. And Lot said, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do this wicked thing. And then look, I can't believe the next verse. How does a good man get to this place? I can't believe it. Look at the next verse. Look what it says. Verse number eight. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you. And do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. I think you could say in some ways he was more concerned about his own reputation than he was the protection and purity of his own unmarried, impure daughters. How do you get there? Hey guys, leave these guys alone. Here's my daughters. Do whatever you want to them. What? He lost his way, didn't he? How does that, how does that happen? Well, was it one big decision, one major failure? No. Second Peter actually tells us how it happened. You can write the reference down. You don't need to turn there. For the sake of time, I'll have the verses on the screen rather than turning there. But Second Peter chapter number 2, verses 7 and 8 says that God delivered just Lot. That doesn't mean only Lot. That's talking about he was a good man. He delivered, the, uh, he's a just man. He's, he's, he's a godly man. He delivered just Lot. Vexed, Lot was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Look at how it describes 
describes him. For that righteous man, he was a righteous man, he was a good man, dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. I'll guarantee it, when Lot's employees and Abel's employees were fighting, Lot never thought, one day I'll be offering my daughters to men to do whatever they want with them. Never thought he could get there, but little by little, day by day, wrong influence after wrong influence, wrong relationship after wrong relationship, wrong decision after wrong decision, not one big one, but a whole bunch of little ones stacked up over day after day. I'm going to take this area, then I'm going to take what's best for me, I'm going to make a decision not based on what's good for everybody, not with a heart to serve God and others, but to serve myself. What's my flesh want? I'm going to do that. Then I'm going to look at Sodom every day. I'm not going to move there. I would never want to raise a family there, but I just want to kind of see what's happening there. And before we know it, he's there, and then he's, he's saved, but then he's back, and now he's sitting on the gate, and now he's offering his daughters. How did it happen? Day by day, he vexed his righteous soul in seeing and hearing. By the way, it doesn't say in doing. He just allowed the wrong influences in day by day. And before you know it, he's doing this. Never thought that would happen, but a little sin here and a little sin there, getting used to the wrong things, watching and listening wrong things over the course of time will have its effect. And Lot lost his way. He didn't only lose his way, by the way, he also lost his family. Look at, the, look at verse number 17, please. Skip down. We're almost done. Verse number 17. And it came to pass when they had brought them from, uh, forth abroad that he said, escape for thy life. So the messengers are telling him, get out. Look, notice it says here, look not behind thee. I'm sorry. I wanted you to see. Go to verse 12. Go to verse 12. I want you to see this. And the men said unto Lot, hast thou here any besides? So the men come, and, and son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters. By the way, his daughters didn't get given to those men, thankfully. He says, do you have any son-in-laws? Do you have any sons? Do you have any grandkids? Whatever you have in the city, bring them out of this place. Get them out. God is about to destroy this place, but because of his love for Abraham, because of his love for your uncle, you're getting, you're getting a chance to come out. We're, we're giving you a chance. Get all your family. I'm telling you, they don't want to stay here. Get them out. Verse 13, we're going to destroy this place because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters. Look what he says, up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Lot had lost all spiritual influence with his family. Hey, guys, we got to get out. God, I got messengers from God that told us this is getting destroyed tomorrow. Come on, we got to save the family. <laughs> This old man, what, honey, what's your dad up to this time? What a weirdo. This guy. Hey, yeah, right. You're really close to God, aren't you? You just offered, offered our, our, our sister-in-laws to those men. Oh, we're really going to listen to you, Lot. Seemed as one that mocked unto him. What kind of joke is this? You pulling a prank on us? Verse 15, and when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. I would suggest that he had already been consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth, they said, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Skip down to verse 27, please. And Abram, I'm sorry, uh, verse number 26, but his wife looked back, disobeyed the word of God. Again, Lot had no spiritual leadership whatsoever in his family. No spiritual influence. He lost his way and he lost his family. And the chapter, I won't go back to read it, but the chapter ends with what we read earlier. His virgin daughters getting him drunk. 
so that they could commit vile acts of incest. And this is who Lot is after all of this. His wife is dead. His children and grandchildren are dead. His career is over. His only living grandsons now are actually his illegitimate sons, products of wickedness. What a sad story. And it all started with a look. One step always leads to another. James said it this way in James 1, verse number 15, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. One step always leads to another. Lust, I'm just gonna look. I'm just gonna desire. But lust, when it's conceived, when there's a decision from it, it brings forth sin and action. And that action always brings forth consequences. Isn't that what Lot found to be true? It brought forth death. One step leads to another. This morning, I want you to leave here this morning being reminded that the little things you do matter. The little decisions you make can lead to big changes in your life for good. This isn't only about a bad thing. We, we looked at Lot, a bad decision. But little good decisions you make can lead to humongous blessings in your life as well. The little decisions we make day after day after day can lead to monumental directional generational change in our families. That little rudder guides the largest of ships. As F.W. Borham said, we make our decisions and then our decisions turn around and make us. Ripley's Believe It or Not says that Craig Dawson has an unusual habit. He keeps an eye on the ground as he jogs. This is not for balance, for safety, or even because he's just shy. He's looking for spare change, and according to Ripley's Believe It or Not, Craig Dawson over the last 25 years has found $8,100 in lost coins. It's a lesson for all of us in that, isn't it? That the power of a small act done consistently over the long haul, little things can turn into big things. Picking up one coin at a time over 25 years while you're jogging, turned into over $8,000 for Craig, Craig Dawson. That little decision each day to read your Bible can completely transform your thinking, your family, your priorities, and your direction in life. That seemingly insignificant decision to get comfortable regularly missing church services may lead you to places you never imagined. That little decision for a dating couple to start taking physical liberties that should be saved for marriage could lead to life-altering consequences. That little decision to work in children's church might lead to the salvation of a little boy who will grow to be a godly husband, might become a godly pastor or a godly Christian businessman. Working at a summer VBS, that little decision might lead to a little girl having her eternity changed and getting baptized this morning, and who knows what God wants to do with little Savannah Smith, and aren't you glad there were some people willing to make a little decision to go serve at a VBS? You never know when you make good little decisions, how God can use them, and when you make bad little decisions, where they can lead you. That little decision to flirt with that coworker could lead to heartache and loss that will stay with you for decades. One step always leads to another. For Lot, for Lot it went after he lost his family to a lifetime of regret. For Lot it went from, do you see it there? If we Go back to that, that, that summary slide. You see where it started? With a look, and it led to a lifetime of regret. No wife, no family, 
no business. The only family relationships he has are marked by their wickedness. Those girls that heard their dad offer them up to some men maybe just thought, well, if that's all we are to him, let's just do whatever we, we want to do. Let's do whatever we need to. From a look to a lifetime of regret. By the way, this seemingly little decision to trust, to trust Christ as your Savior today could completely transform you and your children and your children's children. There's a lady sitting here this morning who's a guest from out of town. It was some three decades ago she made the little decision to accept an invitation from a friend to attend a Bible preaching church that she had never heard of. She brought along her only son with her, and he heard the gospel for the first time that day. After that service, her son said a small, short prayer to place his faith in Christ as Savior. For some reason, the next Sunday, that lady made the small decision to go back to the same church for a second visit. And then shortly after that, she made a seemingly small decision to start going to Sunday night services. She made a decision to buy a Bible and start reading it, trying to learn some more. And and then she joined a small group class each week, and she started going on Wednesday nights to that church, and she put her son in the children's church classes. And she and her son were baptized, and then she enrolled her son in the Christian school, and She started singing in the choir and working on the bus routes, and she took a step of faith and began tithing 10% of her income to the church, and she began to build friendships at the church, and just a bunch of little seemingly random decisions that all started with a pretty small decision of a coworker to say, hey, why don't you come to church with me this Sunday? Some really small decisions that, that just kind of stacked one on top of another. And now, 34 years later, because of those small decisions, That little boy she took on that Sunday morning is standing here telling you about the power of small decisions. The power that they have to change your family history for generations. You see that lady as my mom who's sitting here with my brother Robert as we celebrated his 30th birthday this weekend. It was just a little decision of a coworker to tell a lady that had never talked to her about anything biblical, anything spiritual, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday? And my mom, for some reason, had never gone to church in her adult life. She had as a child. I was nine years old, had never taken me to church. For some reason, that Sunday, she made a seemingly small decision. This is not going to change my life. Yeah, I'll go with, I'll go with Denise. I'll go sit with her in church for, for an hour. What could that hurt? What could that do? It changed our lives forever. Changed our family history. Changed our eternity changed who I married, changed who her grandchildren were, changed my, my vocation, my lifelong direction, my calling. It changed it all. We couldn't have known that 34 years ago, but the power of small things. Most of the time, I've heard it said when, 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 when somebody really destroys their life, in the Christian life, there are very rarely blowouts. It's usually a slow leak. Very rarely are we just making one decision that destroys it all. It's allowing this influence into our life, and it's watching that, and it's listening to that, and it's putting church a little lower on the priority scale, and it's reading the Bible a little bit less, and it's starting to listen to that friend or that relative, and it's starting to to, to be fed and led by our lusts and our flesh rather than the Spirit of God, and well, that just feels good, and I'm going to make a little bit more money. Yeah, I can't really stay plugged into my Christian community, but that's okay. I'm going to go to college here, and yeah, 
I don't, I don't know anybody. I'm going to be surrounded by a bunch of wickedness, but it's going to be good for the bottom line for the future and little decisions or decisions like I am going to read my Bible every day and I'm going to make a commitment. I might lose. And we look at these things and we can't predict where they're all leading. But the reality is that little decisions will change our lives deeply. Where, where, where are the decisions you're making today leading you, church? Where will your choices today lead you to tomorrow? Do you ever stop to take inventory and analyze the habits you're building, where it's leading you? Or like Lot, are you just doing whatever feels good? Whatever seems to make your life the easiest or most comfortable or please your flesh the most. If you continue the direction you're heading right now, I want you to answer this. Where will you and your family be five or 10 or 15 years from now? What kind of marriage will you have? How will your spiritual life be, your career, your health? One step leads to another, so take a step in the right direction today. Make a decision to trust Christ as Savior if you've never done that. And if you have accepted Christ as Savior, make a decision to follow Him in believer's baptism if you've never done that. And if you've done that, make a commitment to prioritize weekly church attendance and begin to read God's Word daily and, and, and get a devotional and a Bible reading plan and start to grow in the Word. Start to share your heart with God in prayer and develop some godly friendships that will help to guide and sharpen you. Join a community group. Find a place of Christian service. Learn to be a generous giver for eternal causes. Start praying with your family each day. Make changes in your entertainment, in your relationships, in your habits, if necessary, in your activities, in your priorities priorities in your budget. And if you neglect these things, if you'll, by the way, if you'll make these seemingly small decisions day after day, you'll look back months or years from now and see enormous change in your life like my mom and I can see in our family 34 years later. But we didn't know that when she's like, yeah, I guess we'll go back to church next Sunday. Oh, they got a Sunday night service? Let's check it out. Oh, I should be reading my Bible? Okay, where do I get a Bible? Let me start reading my Bible every day. And now there are four generations of our family that faithful in church, but the, the fourth generation of that, I guess five generations, if you count grandma, right? Grandma, mom, can't do math, four, whatever that is. And my, my, my grandma just turned 90. She's no longer able to get out of her care facility to go to church the last few months. But for the last 30 years, four generations in church, why? Because someone made a small decision to invite a coworker to join them. Because a coworker made a small decision to go to church, one step leads to another. And if you neglect these things and choose to make poor decisions, small though they may seem, day after day, like Lot, you will vex your righteous soul and you'll look back and wonder, how did I end up in a cave? How did I end up so lonely? So many scars, so much heartache, so much regret. How did I end up here? I was doing so good. Why, why did I make that fleshly decision? Why didn't I stay close to godly influences? Why didn't I, stay, why didn't I seek counsel about where I should live with my family? And, and if we neglect those things, we'll wonder. We start skipping time with God, start skipping, start hanging out with people who don't want nothing to do with God. Don't be surprised when you vex your righteous soul and your life and your family are unrecognizable to you. This may seem silly to some, but we've purchased, I, I, I had, we have an O-ring, I'm going to ask our ushers to come through, and I'd like us just to pass one of these out to each person. I want you to take this with you this morning. You can do whatever you want with it. It's, it's probably worth less than 25, 50 cents. If you want to throw it away, you can. Maybe you want to put it on a three by five card, and right on there, one step leads to another. What steps am I taking in the right direction today? 
Maybe you want to put it on your desk or at home, and the ushers can come through if you have those, and just pass them down the aisles. How did the challenger, how did that heartache and that heartbreak, how many of you remember the challenger crash? Anybody in, all of us old folks, right? We're old enough to remember it. How many of you don't remember it? All right, those that are under like 30, I guess, or 35. Well, what led to all of that millions, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of loss, six precious lives, seven precious lives gone forever, how did it happen? How did it happen? A little O-ring and some what seemed like little decisions. They had never, they'd never had a situation like that before. Their launches had always been successful. So they thought, you know what? Ah, we can ignore that advice. We're good. And before they knew it, it was a nationwide tragedy. Why? One step leads to another. Maybe write on a card and keep that somewhere. Small decisions make big impacts. Remind, let this, as you take it with you, let this remind you that small decisions make big impacts. Again, if you want, you can throw it away. It's less than 50 cents. I think it's 25 cents or so. It's not much. It's not much, is it? If you're sitting in the back, you probably can't even hardly see it in my hand. It's not much, is it? But it can make the difference between a successful space shuttle launch and a tragic, historic space shuttle explosion. Christian, a great life is built by small daily decisions stacked on top of each other over time. What small decision do you need to make to start doing or stop doing something today? Who needs to make the decision today? to trust Christ as your personal Savior. Let's leave today and say, one step leads to another. Where are my steps leading me? If I keep going on this path, where does it lead me? You fill in the blank. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Lord, I thank you for the example of Lot's life. And your word tells us that you put those things in there for our example, for our learning. God, what a tragic ending to what was really a great start. A man that had a bright potential, a bright future, and really did love you, a good man, a righteous man, a just man. But Lord, he allowed some seemingly small decisions to destroy his life. Not all of us can do the same. And then I'm thankful because of your grace and because of your redemption and because of your love. That God, if we'll listen to your word and if we'll listen to your messenger, we can save our family. We can make some seemingly small decisions that will completely change the outcome of our lives for the better, that can completely change our eternity for the better. We can spend eternity in heaven with you if we'll make the seemingly simple decision to place our faith and trust in you alone. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as Savior, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray with you. There's no magic words to any prayer, but I wanna lead you in a prayer similar to the one that I prayed the first time I heard the gospel message 34 years ago. These words don't save you, but if you want to accept Christ as Savior in your heart, pray something like this to him. Dear Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner, and I've been going in the wrong direction. I've sinned against you. And today, God, I'm accepting you as my Savior. I'm placing my faith and trust in you alone. God, save me. Forgive me of my sins. Take me to heaven when I die. And Lord, help me to follow you for a lifetime. If you did that this morning, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We heard a very powerful, clear presentation of the simplicity of the gospel last Sunday. You don't have to change every habit of your life to get saved. 
Now, if you're truly saved, God will begin working and he will change some things in your life. But you don't earn your way to heaven by turning over a new leaf. You gain your way to heaven by receiving a free gift. Those of us that are saved, are we making some, we've just gotten a little lazy. We've gotten a little foolish with our spending. We've gotten a little flippant with our relationships with the opposite gender. We've gotten a little bit comfortable with sin and our devices and in our communications. Be careful. For Lot, it went from a look to a lifetime of regret. Oh, it took some time, but one step leads to another. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.